The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Support for No Excuses with John Taffer comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive buying power process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep the new lower rate. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash taffer. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. All right, I think I should make this exciting because I'm actually in Las Vegas. I get to be home, so... Here it is, the No Excuses Podcast, live from the Taffer Studio in Las Vegas, Nevada. And it is sort of live because it's live to disc. But I'm pretty excited to be here. This is a great show. One of my favorite, I think, ahead of time, if I can predict it, I have Dave Portnoy, El Presidente from Barstool Sports with me. And what a lot of people don't know is Dave and I are friends. We go back about five or six years, back to the beginning of Barstool Sports, and as powerful as Barstool Sports is, and with all the topics that they have, nobody's ever really talked about David and how he started. So I want to talk about that because there's a lot of lessons for all of us that are interested in blogging, internet businesses, content businesses, promotional businesses. This is going to be a great discussion with David Portnoy today. We're also going to take audience calls, of course. I look forward to that. That's my favorite part of the show. But let's start with talking about Bar Rescue from last night. You know, I think Bar Rescue from last night was a very classic episode in a particular way when it comes to the family dynamic. I've done now 169 Bar Rescues, 20 back to the bars, and four Taffers worse, which is a total, I think, of about 203. And out of the 169 Bar Rescues, the family dynamic is the toughest, absolutely, to deal with. Because families support each other in weakness. Ah, little Johnny's trying. Ah, little Johnny doesn't feel good today. They really don't force each other to be better. Families are insulating. They nurture. They protect us when we make mistakes. That's the exact opposite of what a business would require. So I always say to families in a situation like the bar rescue last night, if you act like a family, you're going to fail. You got to act like a team. You see, teams don't allow weakness. Teams don't support each other when they fail. On a team, if you don't get a hit, you get benched. 
That's the way it works. With families, when you don't get a hit, you get a hug. It's really difficult to elevate the performance in a business when that family dynamic keeps getting in the way. And I don't know exactly how to crack through with a lot of people because the nurturing desire outcomes or outweighs their desire to make money. And that's exactly what happened. And think of the husband and wife dynamic in a family situation. The wife pressures the husband to paint the wall pink in a restaurant or the bar. If the husband doesn't paint the wall pink, he's going to go home and he has hell that night. So he now is boxed in. He has to act in a way that satisfies his wife. Reverse it. The husband says to the wife, paint the wall blue. Wife doesn't want to paint it. When she goes home that night, she's miserable. So what happens is the pressure of the personal disappointment when the spouse doesn't do something that the other wants them to do carries to home. Now what happens is the individual running the business is disempowered from the individual who's not running the business, the spouse that isn't involved. That works every time and that'll kill a business. How about the parent and the child? When a child tries to correct the parent or improve the business and the parent sees that as an insult because the parent should know better than the child. So the child-parent dynamic rarely works in a business environment. The husband and wife dynamic rarely works in a business environment. Brothers have a chance of working if they treat each other as equals. But if it's the big brother and a little brother or the big sister and a little sister, that falls apart too. And we saw that in Bar Rescue. So when you get into family businesses, here's my advice. Always make a rule that the family doesn't exist within the four walls of the business. Within the four walls of that business, we must, and I say must, perform unlike family members and more like team members. That's what makes a business successful. When Johnny strikes out, beat him up. Don't give him a hug. That's what will drive success in the business. Accountability, not nurturing. And that's what we saw in Bar Rescue Sunday night. I thought it was a pretty good remodel. Actually, a pretty good uh, uh, episode in my view. And, and, you know, they're all so different. And people say to me, you know, John, how come you didn't scream in this episode? How come you didn't throw stuff in this episode? I love when you scream and yell, John. You're not screaming and yelling enough. The owner sets the pace. If they're aggressive, then I have to be aggressive back. If they're sweet, then I can be a little sweeter. If they're open to advice, then I can tell them that advice. If they're not open to the advice, then then I'm going to scream them the advice. But the fact of the matter is they will set the tempo in every episode, and you'll see what I mean. Sometimes I'll go in and recon will be really heavy, but the next day will mellow because I'll sense a better attitude in them. This was a difficult episode because that family dynamic works against me every time, and that's exactly what happened in this week's Bar Rescue. So, talking about the news a little bit and what's going on in the news. You know, it's interesting. Chipotle, I was on Fox News last week, and we were talking about Chipotle and how one of their restaurants, again, had a health violation, and I believe was actually shut down because food was being held at a terrible temperature. Now, that company has had nothing but problems over the past few years, but they're doing something really cool to elevate their brand. I thought it was really neat. Chipotle is launching an accelerator program. So what they're doing is they're working with farmers and product suppliers in Colorado, and they're funding 10 accelerator startups to really fuel innovation in organic and better food preparation. You know, it's a great concept, and I think that more restaurant companies could get involved in that. For example, Red Lobster is the biggest fisher of shrimp. They catch their own shrimp. They process their own shrimp. So they've played a very large part in shaping the industry. When you think about the fact that a supplier like Chipotle 
could actually, or a consumer like Chipotle, I should say, can actually uh, uh, manipulate, encourage, and improve the supply side is really exciting. A lot of companies like McDonald's have done that over the years, working with their suppliers to improve quality, improve various elements, and improve the supply line. And, and that's a really, really important way to build quality. You know, in a business like Chipotle or McDonald's or, or even the Palms or Morton's or a fine restaurant, it all comes down to what comes in the back door to determine how customers feel going out the front door. So we call that specs. And specs are really, really important. So, so in order to have the right specs, we got to go to the right ranchers, the right farmers, the right produce producers, uh, the right flavor producers, sauce producers, salad dressing producers. So the supply side drives all of our success. And it's nice to see Chipotle uh, uh, launching an accelerator program that might actually, actually have a positive impact uh, on our food supply program. So if you think about it, if they would just clean the kitchens and keep food at the right temperature, this accelerator program might pull them out of the weeds. So who's a music fan? I'm a big music fan. Do you know that the Thriller album by Michael Jackson was the best-selling album of all time until just recently? And just recently, the Recording Industry Association of America just said that the Eagles album, their greatest hit, 71 to 75, is now 38 times platinum, which means it's the number one selling album of all time, 38 million copies. Michael Jackson's Thriller album was at 26 times platinum. Nope, 32 times platinum. So, Wow. I would never have thought that the Eagles' greatest hits record would be one of the greatest uh, uh, or the greatest selling record of all time. You know what's amazing about that is it's repurposed concept content. And, and, you know, in my business, we do that too. Anytime you can take a song and repackage it, and Elvis Presley, they did it to the top Christmas albums, mellow albums, gospel albums, left-handed albums, right-handed albums. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is they just reissue the content in different ways, repackage it, reissue it. When CDs came out, that was a great opportunity. All the vinyl records were repackaged into CD, into collections. And so <laughs> the Eagles, the number one selling record of all time, their greatest hits, 71 to 75, is actually repurposed content. So good for them. You know, when you can, say, can attain that level of sales, somebody made a few bucks. So the Big Bang Theory is going to end after 12 seasons. You know, it's interesting. That was never my favorite show. I never really liked that show. Nicole likes it a lot. She'll watch it all the time. I tend to walk out of the room when she's watching it. But there was some issue as to whether it would come back or not. But next year is going to be the end of Big Bang Theory after 12 seasons. I wonder how many episodes they've done. It doesn't say. Because uh, normally a network show like that doesn't quite do that many episodes a year. And as the host of Bar Rescue, between you and I, I'm wondering if I beat them. I wonder if I got more episodes than they do. All right, so talking about restaurants again, Chick-fil-A opens a restaurant 600 feet from another Chick-fil-A. And uh, people, like, are freaking out about this. And, and I find it interesting how people get so emotionally connected to restaurants. So some blogger, name is Hubs, writes the following. Chick-fil-A is one weird restaurant chain. You could think that they have zero interest in making any money. Whoever runs them, they aren't open to one of se- they're not open one of seven days of the week, which eliminates one-seventh of their potential. Brilliant math there. They have a weird anti-gay stance, even though it's 2018. I didn't know that, which surely pisses a lot of people off. 
And now they're opening stores right next door to each other. So this guy thinks they're an idiot. It's a billion-dollar company, but he's convinced they're an idiot. But here's what's interesting. There are about 2,200 stores in the entire country. Chick-fil-A opens 75 to 80 new restaurants each year. And you ready for this? 20,000 applications come through every year to open a new franchise. So only 1% of the people who submit an application for a Chick-fil-A franchise are going to get one. So that's what, you know, really what I would call controlled growth. Now, a blogger who's not in the business might say that's foolish, this and that. But, you know, White Castle and a lot of companies grew that way. They weren't quick to do franchises. They stayed family-owned. They had a lot of corporate stores. They grew the brand by controlling the brand. If you go too quickly and you franchise too many stores, you can lose control. Corporate-operated stores within a franchise company are almost always better than the franchise-operated stores because they have more management structure around them. So Chick-fil-A is, is, is being strategic rather than grabbing every dollar in sight. I'm not sure that isn't brilliant. So uh, uh, regulated and safe growth is a lot smarter than, than accelerated and risky growth. I'm looking at a picture of Alex Rodriguez smiling with unbelievable love to J-Lo. They're at the MTV VMA Awards. And A-Rod, who I'm a big fan of A-Rod, i got to tell you, I'm a Yankee fan. Those who know me know that well. Matter of fact, I was at Yankee Stadium just a couple weeks ago, and I'm doing something for the Yankees right now. But A-Rod is her social media expert. So apparently A-Rod is taking pictures, posting on her Instagram account, and he's having a blast. And you know what's really amazing? I love watching people when they're in love because you can really see it. You can see the way they touch each other, the way they walk next to each other. You'll see their body language. The way they look at each other is different than the way they look at anyone else. And when you look at the two of them, and they've been together quite a while now, it is clear to me that they really, really love each other. If you haven't watched any videos of them, take a look. It's really fun to watch them. Uh, I think that they're, they're a great couple. Well, those of you who know me and watch Bar Rescue know that I went down to Puerto Rico a couple months ago and rescued a bar down in Puerto Rico. And on September 9th, note your calendar, the Bar Rescue Operation Puerto Rico episode is airing again on Paramount Network. And September 9th is the anniversary of Hurricane Maria. So we're airing it again to bring attention to it again. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention right now what's going on in Hawaii which is unbelievable. And, and, you know, I look at Hawaii, and hurricanes are not that infrequent. I used to live in Florida. I lived in Palm Beach before I moved here to Las Vegas. And they were so ready for it down there. Now, when I lived in Florida, the emergency kits, emergency packages, emergency vehicle, they were just more ready for it down in Florida. And hats off to Florida. And when I was there, Jeb Bush was governor. Of course, other governors have been there ever since. But the fact of the matter is that they're a prepared state. The briefs you get before storms, during storms, after storms, the availability, the fact that people actually have kits in their house, they're prepared to lose power and not be able to access food for days. There's a big difference. Hawaii, man, they just didn't get ready. Stores ran out of everything. They couldn't get supplies. And, and I, I got to call out the governor. I got to call out FEMA. You know, if, 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 if it's garbage in before the storm starts, it's going to be garbage out. Why didn't they plan better? And, you know, maybe a little note to FEMA from some of us that are not in Hawaii. Uh, just to let them know we're watching might be in order because I feel terrible for those people after seeing what I went through in Puerto Rico. So Apple 
is planning a new low-cost MacBook, and it's going to be under $1,000, apparently, and it looks just like another MacBook, and you wonder the science of pricing. So if Apple is bringing out a, a, a PC or computer that's going to be at a lower price point, well, think about it. Apple's prices are a little more premium than others, so they're getting into much more of a price competitive situation rather than a product competitive situation. I think that's really an interesting strategic change for Apple. Think about your businesses in your life. You know, in a hotel business, I always say there's two things, occupancy and rate. If you want to fill the room and drive occupancy, you've got a lower rate. If you want to increase the rate, you're probably going to drop occupancy. Same thing with a restaurant. I can pack it with low prices. When I raise the prices, I lose, I lose patrons. That's a mathematical equation of more people spending less versus less people spending more. I wonder what would make Apple make such a strategic change. And if, in essence, they're now bringing in down-priced products, uh, that would show me that they're after uh, some of the PC manufacturers and that Apple is looking to increase its market share. You know, one way to increase market share is just that, lowering prices, creating a bigger footprint. When I'm in a restaurant business, we always look at managing revenue in two ways, and all of you should do it this way. There's always two aspects to revenue in any business. It's amount of transactions and amount that the transactions are. How many people are creating transactions and how much are they spending? That's all we have in business. So we have to manage them separately. A, how many transactions can I do? Can I grow my transactions this year by 20%? I want to sell more widgets. So I have to increase the amount of transactions. The next stage is how do I increase spend? So how do I increase transactions? That's one different plan, one different budget, a whole initiative of its own. How do I increase spend? Well, that's another initiative all on its own. Where people blow it in business is they just manage revenue. They don't manage transactions and spend. Those are the two things that together equal revenue. So if you really want to manage a business and Apple is strategically making this move, obviously they've managed spend very well. We pay a premium price for their products, don't we? Now they're managing transactions by bringing in a lower price product to increase their universe of customers. And that's strategically what's going on when we see brand makes moves like that. And that's relevant to us, our own businesses, and the way we go strategically at marketing and positioning those businesses. And I ask you then, what is marketing? You know, I always love when I give speeches around the country and, and people, ah, marketing is advertising. And this, you know, honestly, I think the college textbooks tend to get this wrong. Marketing, if you look at a college textbook, marketing, the definition is defining a need and filling it. Uh, that's sort of research and development to me. That's not marketing to me. Marketing is butts and seats and heads on pillows. Marketing is only three things, and you want to remember this because this applies to so many aspects of life. Marketing is three things. New customers, more frequency from existing customers, and more spend. That's all marketing is, bringing in new customers, getting them to come more often, and getting them to spend more. If your business doesn't incorporate all three of those things, then I suggest that you're not marketing at all. So look at your business if that's what you do. If you're an entrepreneur and you're considering starting businesses, think in these terms. How do I get new customers? How do I get frequency for my existing customers? How do I get them to spend more? And all of those things tend to come back to one point that so many companies forget. And that point is the customer experience. 
when you knock them out with quality service, quality products, frequency goes up, spend goes up, brand equity goes up. Remember, no company is going to get successful if it doesn't own its customers. And if you, those of you know me well know I own the term reaction management. And reaction management, which I've trademarked, is the management of reactions of the people around you. Because the concept is if I can manage the reactions of the people around me, I can probably make my own life better. If a boss wants to promote me more, my wife loves me more, my kids love me more, my friends want to be around me more. If I can manipulate the reactions of the people around me, and I don't say manipulate in a bad way, I can make my life better. And that's the whole premise of reaction management. And uh, uh, Apple, in coming in with a lower price, is, is creating a whole different reaction management strategy. You look at all the ugliness in politics today, and, and boy, this was an ugly week for the president. And, you know, putting politics aside and left or right, Democrat, Republican aside, I was reading a great article that should make us all feel really good. And the headline of the article was, Target posts its strongest sales growth in more than a decade. And then I read further, and I read in the article that Walmart is about to do the same. Retail sales is through the freaking roof. Consumer confidence is the highest in 17 years, according to Bloomberg Consumer Comfort Index. The fact of the matter is, politics, left and right aside, the tax cuts and economic strategies that were put in place almost two years ago have changed the entire projectile of our country. Unemployment is low with blacks, women, Hispanics, the lowest in history. It's low for all of us. For the first time in years, people's income is actually rising. It was stagnant for years. Then we got a tax cut so people are taking home more money. The manufacturing sector, the numbers are what they are. They're going up. Dollars are being repatriated back to America to build factories and create more jobs. Now we have a different immigration crisis coming up. Now we're going to need more immigrants to fill these jobs. So it's another reason to resolve our immigration issue, not to lock them out, but to get them in and to create a greater workforce because our now GNP growth, I just read today, is now at close to 4.7%, 4.7%. Over 4% is unbelievable. People said that 3% couldn't be beat. So stop fighting for a couple of minutes. How about we take a moment and feel good about this? We have one of the greatest economies in the world. People are working. They're going to Target, Walmart. They're spending money. They're buying things. They're going out more. They're partying more. They're happier. Travel is up. Vacations are up. This is not a bad time. This is a good time. So let's take a moment. And think about all the statistics that are saying great things about where our country is economically going right now. So this is a great opportunity. If you're thinking about starting a business, this is a great time to do it. If you're thinking of investing in a business, this is a great time to do it. Online sales, retail sales, this is a great time to jump in to the business world. And the numbers bear us out. So Take a moment, let's stop screaming at each other, left, right, liberal, conservative, and let's embrace the reality of it. You see, we scream and yell at each other of a lot of assumptions. We assume that this person may have done that, they feel this way, they act that way, they don't like this person. All that is conjecture. We don't know how people truly feel, and we don't always understand the meanings behind their words, but numbers don't lie. 
And facts are very difficult things. Right now, we are in an economic boom. And that economic boom isn't a coincidence. It is, in fact, a consequence from the economic choices made about two years ago. Let's stop and enjoy it for a couple of minutes. I know Netflix is. Listen to this. Netflix, right? We buy Netflix. We love our Netflix. I've, I've been watching American Horror Story. We watched a few episodes last night. Netflix is trying out, you ready? Commercials. So if Netflix is trying commercials, what the hell is going to be the difference between Netflix and cable or network television. I also find it interesting on my Sirius radio. I hear more and more commercials all the time on Sirius too. So over time, the line between paid programming and advertised programming is blurring. And I believe that in the next two years, if we let this happen, it is going to be completely blurred and we're going to be paying for programming that in fact has advertising in it. That's where this is going. So I think we should watch out. I think we should be vocal and I think we should try to protect our content. So talking about content, oh, about six years ago, I met a couple of guys, David Portnoy and David Katz, El Presidente and Barstool Big Cat. We did something called Blog Rescue. We shot it in Barney's Beanery in Hollywood, California. And then I had them do a a burger cook-off and drinks for me. When I met them, I had no idea who Barstool Sports was. But Dave Portnoy, Dan Katz, forgive me, Dave Portnoy and Dan Katz and I became really, really good friends. And six years later, Barstool Sports is a mega media company with God knows how many radio shows now and content going out all over the world. And I couldn't be more proud to watch them grow and think that maybe I was a tiny part of it in the early days when we used to do things together. Everybody knows who Barstool Sports is, but you know, a lot of people don't really know about Dave Portnoy and the struggles and the vision that he had to go from just a college graduate to the owner of a mega company, Barstool Sports. And that's what I wanted to talk about with my buddy today. So when we come back from this break, we're going to be with El Presidente from Barstool Sports. Stick around. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Man, I love this time of year. The NFL and NCAA football season kickoff is here. And it's time to take that pigskin knowledge to the bank at betdsi.com. BetDSI is celebrating 20 years online and has built an impeccable reputation for great service and fast payment of your winnings. And to help you get started with some extra bang for your buck, BetDSI is offering double your money on your first deposit. That's right, double your money. Just deposit to start winning and get up to $2,500 free. That's double your money right from the get-go. So join BetDSI.com today by using promo code TAFFER101, and you've already won by doubling your bankroll right out of the gate. Yep, that's promo code TAFFER101 to get in the action and get paid. And get this, now you can join the BetDSI 2018 Handicappers Cup. Players must make five plays each week to be eligible for that week's free play prize. $25 free play at BetDSI.com. And over the entire season, if you have the most winning picks, you have a shot at the grand prize of $1,000. You can go to BetDSI.com to see my week one picks and for more details on the contest. And for terms and conditions, go to BetDSI.com. And I hope you join me each week and watch my picks. It'll be fun. Let's do it together. 
I don't know about you, KC, but I know my body is unique to me. There isn't another one quite like it on the planet. And when you think about it, why would you buy a generic mattress that's made for everybody? It doesn't make any sense. No. Our bodies are all too unique. Well, Helix Sleep built a sleep quiz that takes two minutes to complete, and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. Whether you're a side sleeper, hot sleeper, like a plush or firm bed, with Helix, there's no more guessing or confusion. It's the perfect mattress for you. And right now, Helix is offering up to $125 off on all mattress orders. Get up to $125 off at helixsleep.com slash Taffer. That's a lot of money, Casey. That's a lot of money. Big savings. $125. Bucks. So go to helixsleep.com slash Taffer for your $125 off on your mattress order. That's helixsleep.com slash Taffer. No more generic mattresses. Let's get one made for us. We'll all sleep better. You know, I love technology. And in my offices, I make sure that we always have business class PCs. When it comes to technology, the difference between consumer grade and business class PCs is just as huge as economy and first class seating is on an airplane. There's a huge difference. Performance is much greater on a business class PC. Support every HP Elite PC comes with Elite Premium support. Software and security is far better. Design, graphic capability, reliability is far better. If you're not going to HP to get your own business class PC, you're missing out on so many creative and performance opportunities. Remember, HP, reliability, design, software, and security, get out of the consumer-grade processing world and get in to business class PCs. And you can do that by simply going to hp.com slash Taffer. Right now, you can get an extra 10% off on select 8th generation Intel-powered HP PCs by going to hp.com and using the code Taffer hp.com slash taffer but you got to get there by september 17th so do it now taffer is back this is no excuses with john taffer six years ago i got to meet david portnoy he's the founder of barstool sports and and, and candidly he, he really sort of blew me away you don't realize how much you blew me away and, and, you know, how much of a model you are for so many people that are trying to get into the media business, Dave. And I want people to know your personal story, not just about Barstool Sports. And I know you started in University of Michigan. And, yep. and, and I believe what, because of your sister, you went there, right? Yeah. So my sister was a senior when I was a freshman. I'd visit her when I was high school. And as a high school student's prone to do, you love the place. So I applied to a liberal arts school. Actually got denied. They said, nope, you're not accepted here. For whatever reason, though, they said, we think you'd be a great nurse. And if you want to come to the nursing school, you can't. So I said, I called up my sister, Leslie. I said, hey, I've been accepted to the nursing program. I don't really know what this means. I know I don't want to be a nurse. I pass out when I see blood. But if I go there for a semester, can I just transfer where I want to be? And she said, yeah, absolutely. Once you're in the school, you can kind of maneuver around the different, whether it be education, nursing. So I ended up in Michigan, and I went to a liberal arts program and did a four-year degree there. Wow. So, so, so you left Michigan. What I found really interesting, because I read about you, buddy, was yep. when you got out of college, you had no intention of getting a job. I always knew I wanted to try my own thing. Now, I graduated at a time when the economy was booming. Dot-com was just booming. So I did have a sales job for about 
three or four years out of college and I did great. I was a good salesman. Um, and to be honest, it helped with the entrepreneurial side. I always knew I wanted to try my own thing. And when I finally did with Barstool Sports, you know, the, jo- the first job I had, they just put a yellow pages in front of me. I had to sell software and they didn't give me any tips. They said, go through and just sell to whoever you can. So it was as rudimentary sales as you could ever have dialing for dollars, cold calling. It was good. It was good experience. And it helped actually launch parcel because when I started the company, I was able to sell basically a year's worth of advertising for, for nothing. I was selling basically this image of a gambling newspaper, but it wasn't out yet. We had no product, but it was all the sales background and really just calling everybody and their mother, you know, until I had enough yeses where I had the money that I knew I could at least survive for a year. So you got out of Michigan. You almost went into the furniture business for a minute, right? Yeah. So there was a bunch of different ideas that I, that I basically had in my mind for Barstool. I knew I wanted to try something. Um, The three concepts I had was Barstool Sports, which was basically a four to eight page gambling fantasy sports newspaper slash rag. The other one was uh, a used furniture company for college students. Every time the semester ends, basically, all you, you go to any college town, there's all this furniture out on the corner that people are throwing away. So my concept was get a huge truck in a warehouse, grab all this furniture for free, store it, and then sell it for pennies on the dollar to all the kids moving in. And they could all find it online. Again, it was a dot-com era. So you could go online and look for it. That was one concept. And the third was the scouting concept for uh, basically Division II, Division Three athletes. Athletes are students who want to play sports in college but weren't heavily recruited. And coaches, Division Three, who may not have huge budgets to recruit, the school doesn't really care if you win or lose, but the coach still wants to win and the kid still wants to play sports in college. So it's a way to connect college coaches with high school athletes, not division one powerhouse, but people who just want to play sports in college, kind of like myself, like a division three type caliber athlete. Were you a good athlete? Uh, I, I was decent. I was pretty good at baseball. Again, I, you know, I, I wasn't D one, but I certainly could play division three or maybe even low division one baseball. So I, I, I was decent. What'd you play? Uh, baseball. So I played left field in baseball. Uh, I played football a little bit. It hurt my shoulder, but it was primarily baseball. So you could run pretty quick then, if you were playing. Yeah, I, was, I was a very fast person. Okay. So you form oh, Barstool Sports. Now, now, you and I have something in common. I created Bar HQ, my app. And what I did before I built it is I sold all the advertising to Anheuser-Busch in advance. And then I used their money to build my app. And then I sold it. Sound familiar? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the key and why so many things in my industry, uh, the media, you know, it, it's great to have these ideas and concepts. But if you can't sell it and you're not willing to be the person on the phone, you know, doing the deal, he, 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 how are you going to survive? So I, I had an advantage over people doing what I was doing in that I really came at it much stronger from the business. Not It wasn't, hey, I want to be a journalist and write funny stories. It was how do I make a business? How do I make this work? And that was the sales. Uh, you know, the newspaper, when I launched it, I was the only employee. And it would say to contact, uh, you know, sales, do Joe at Barstool Sports. If you want to contact PR, contact Bill at Barstool Sports. Had all these aliases so people would think we were much bigger than we actually were. So the fact of the matter is being an entrepreneur means you got to knock on doors, make the phone calls. It didn't freaking come easy, did it? No, and I, you know, I'm sure you know this. This is one thing. A lot of people love talking about being an entrepreneur, um, but it, it, 
not everybody wants to do, you know, the heavy lifting that's involved in it. Now, don't get me wrong. I would rather do nothing else. I had no problem waking up. I used to wake up at 5 a.m. every single day, hand out the newspapers at the subway. Uh, I would go home. I would write my articles and stuff like that. And then I'd head back to the subway to hand out the newspapers again. I used to deliver them all myself. It was like a 48-hour paper route where I'd stick them in a van and just drop, drop them off nonstop. It was a bear. I mean, I didn't take a day off for 10 years, but it was the best 10 years. And, and it beat the hell out of when I was working for somebody else before that. Uh, but it's a lot of work. But you're going to love it. And I did. So the fact of the matter is it didn't happen overnight. You had to work your butt off to make it happen. And then uh, 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 you started to associate yourself with a number of people around you. And you grew out across the country. So you started cash flowing. And then you really invested back into the business. Yeah. So, you know, we started in 2004 and I'd say around 2007, 2008, I was starting to finally say, all right, I may not be rich doing this, but I'm going to be able to carve a living doing something that I enjoy working for myself. And that was the primary goal when I started it. But as Boston started taking off, I said, you know, if I can replicate this in other in other cities, I may really have something. So we started looking for other guys. We found uh Kevin Clancy in New York, Dan, Big Cat, who you obviously know well in Chicago. We found Smitty in Philadelphia. So we started expanding to other cities, trying to replicate the model of what we had here in Boston. Now, these weren't yeah, aliases. These, are, these were actually people. <laughs> these were not coming these are, yeah. real people. So, real people. So now, full-time salaries. So now, absolutely. Now you got salaries. You got benefits. You got all this stuff to worry about. You're a multi-city operation. At that point, or at what point did you realize that you had a multi-million dollar venture on your hands? Was there ever a moment when you said, holy shit, look at what I've created? Yeah, you know, it was 2010. So we had always only done physical events in Boston, the city of Boston. And I wanted to test. I wanted to see how we doing outside just Metro Boston. So we wanted to do a uh, tour of local colleges, UMass, URI. We went to Quinnipiac. We went to UNH, New Hampshire. Um, so and I needed a sponsor for it. And all of our sponsors at the time, our advertisers, were for the most part uh, beer companies, liquor companies, and they wouldn't put their name on just doing a party. So I said, well, how can we get how can we make it so Southern Comfort or Coors Light can advertise or sponsor this tour? I decide music because, you know, they all the beer companies will put their name on concerts. So we found a local artist and said we're doing a concert tour. It was ten uh, six cities. And when we went to these other schools, they were hanging our signs in their windows. We were supposed to do these concerts at venues like, like 500 cap bar venues. The Mullen Center at UMass, that's where they play basketball. They called me up and they said, hey, Dave, we're getting uh, basically requests for this concert. And we don't know what they're talking about, but we think there's demand for this, for you to move it from a a bar to the actual arena. And we worked out the finances and all that. We put the tickets on sale. It's just the floor of the arena, which is 4,000 people. And we sold out in about an hour. Uh, that that was an eye-opening experience. So that was because, you know, I've had those experiences. Sometimes we don't realize how big our brands are. Like even this podcast, this is sex of this podcast sort of blew me away because it happened so quickly. It's amazing when you have those moments when you realize, wow, this is bigger than I thought. And yep. It had a momentum then. You almost couldn't stop it, I bet. 
Yeah, it, it continued to grow. Uh, and we've made, you know, whether it's gut, luck, instinct, luck meets preparation, opportunities when, you know, luck meets preparation, all those all those quotes, we continue just to really work hard, find good people, and the momentum continue to grow. Word of mouth, we've never really spent a dime on advertising or anything outside. It's all just true fans of the website telling other people about it. It's, it's really incredible. Then you went through one of the toughest business transitions I ever experienced. When I was running a nightclub and bar media group, we had to shut down our magazines and go into digital. And you yep. had to go through that as well. So you had to shut down the Barstool Sports newsletter and turn it into a blogging digital site. Was that a challenge right. at the time? You know, it was. The biggest challenge, ironically, was a lot of our older advertisers or legacy advertisers were traditional like beer companies. And they were so used to print and radio, we had a hard time transitioning them to digital. Now, I knew that digital was the future for Barstool. It was easy. Uh, the, the primary reason, so much easier to scale. Yep. Like the newspaper, you know, the bigger it gets, you got to print more, you need more trucks, more delivery. It's just very difficult. It's time consuming. It's expensive. Yep. It's hard to do. Um, digital, there's no walls. So it was easier to reach more people faster, more economically. But our old school advertisers didn't totally understand that. And if I physically didn't give them a tear sheet from the newspaper, a copy of their advertisement running in the newspaper, they wouldn't pay their bills. It didn't matter that I knew all the benefit was from talking about it online and putting their ads and events on the Internet. They were so old school that we had to continue to do the paper probably for two to three years only so we could get paid. It's funny. I did the same thing. So you gave them the digital for free, uh, 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 just uh, uh, to transition them. But you had to keep them in a printed publication because uh, uh, they weren't comfortable with digital yet. Yep, and, and it was just they weren't morphing. It's like you know they've been buying that old school way, the print and radio, for so long. They just didn't have the meat. It wasn't set up. And, and the companies that are the size of an Anheuser Busch, it takes a long time sometimes for them to you know move the direction you like. And certainly we're small, so we're moving at light speed. Barstool was. They weren't always at our speed in certain respects. Yeah, but a lot of that comes back to you, Dave. The fact is, do you know how many magazines went broke during that period and couldn't make that transition to digital? Oh, a ton. It's uh, it's amazing, actually, even looking back at how many companies are around when we were doing it. Uh, I mean, I, there's almost none. It's where one of the only ones that kind of prospered out of that era. Yeah, but you, you also changed your personality when you went digital. You became digital meant, uh, in, a, in a mental kind of sense. Your communications became different. I think you got a little cockier. You got a little more controversial. Didn't you find that the digital envelope let you go a little more, so to speak? Well, yeah, absolutely. And we're in constant contact with our fans, which is something you can't do when you're being published either weekly or biweekly. We started communicating directly and my real personality maybe came out. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not married to anything and continue not to be married to anything with Barstool. I try to use my gut, my instinct and be mobile and be fast and be quick. And if something doesn't work, Okay, let's move to the next. Not everything's going to work, but if you're fast and you, you give things shot, you, you know you find the things that are working. In my personality, the El Prez character, if you want to call it a character, I I never intended for that to be part of 
Barcelona Sports, but it was obvious people were responding to it. So once that became the case, I go with what works, and I dove headfirst into it. So you became El Presidente, really, yeah. by the by the desire of your fans more than anything else. Yeah, really. I mean, again, I, that name, I, it was not part of the early newspapers. It was all aliases, and the intent was for people not to know who I was. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Okay, so you're in Boston. You now got Barstool Sports going a bunch of cities. You got a payroll going. You got some good advertisers. You've struggled through the shift to digital. You're still sort of a content and a sales organization, though, because you're still surviving on sponsor checks, right, to keep payroll going and all of that. And then you get a phone call to sell the company to a large media organization, right? Is that what happened? Yeah. So the churning group. Now, we'd always gotten nibbles, whether it be from VCs, angels. It never went very far because our content was always, I would say, risque, on the edge, pushing the envelope. But I believe that was what separated us. It was being authentic and true to the brand. So uh, a guy, Mike Kearns. Uh, reached out to me from the churning group, and he used to be at Yahoo. I think he ran sports at yahoo.com. And he had tried to tell Yahoo they should do business with us, and they weren't interested. He left Yahoo, was hired by Churning Digital. His first call was to me. He said, I'm a fan. I've always been a fan. Uh, are you interested in investment of anything like that? I said, listen, I'll listen to you. I'm always open. And he went, so I talked to him on a Thursday. He lived in San Francisco. On Friday, he was in Boston to talk to me. That in itself spoke volumes to me. I always judge that, by the way, uh, uh, John, how people, when they say they're interested, all right, well, we'll prove it. I mean, I'm here, and he did. So that added a level of credibility. He essentially said, we love the content. If I gave you money or Churning gave you money, what would you do with it? And it was this concept of relocating everybody from the different cities, uh, Dan in Chicago, Kevin in New York, myself in Boston, uh, all under one roof in New York to create the first sort of blog reality company. You know, mix everything, reality TV, blogging, all the things that were at the forefront of emerging technology and Internet and and build what people now know as Barcelona Sports. I made sure I'd have complete editorial control, total content control. A lot of people are like, there's no way Turner would give that to you. They did. So I have final say on everything. And that really, that infusion of capital that they gave us about two and a half, almost three years ago, really, you know, was putting gasoline on us. And we were this engine that was ready to go, but their, their finances, their expertise, and really the help on a lot of things that were just stretched so thin really took Barstool to the next level. You know, it's interesting. You know, El Presidente, you know, uh, people perceive you very much from your media personality and such. A lot of individuals that own a business like you do, their ego would never have permitted them to bring in a big partner like that. And, yeah. And you don't have a huge ego, do you? I mean, people say I do. I, I've said this many times. My goal to when I started Barstool Sports was not to be famous and it wasn't to be a writer or well-known or personality. It was to make a business, hopefully a very successful one, that I could make a living off. And I am I am not married to any concept, idea. If I think something can help the business, I will do what I think will help the business. And I was convinced Churn was the right partner. Um, and it has been, by the way. I, my dad, who's an attorney and old Jewish guy always worries like you're going to not like partners. You got to watch out for partners. They never work. Um, this has worked. 
This has been the right partner from the second we did it. I have no regrets. It's been a great three years. And I think they'd say the same about us. We've outperformed every metric. So it's really, uh, you know, you, if you find the right people, it can be magic. And so far it has been. You know, there's moments that we have as entrepreneurs. I got to buy a jet about uh, 14 months ago. And one night I go to my hangar. And I'm sitting in my jet by myself, and I say, holy shit, I can't believe what I've achieved. You know, it's if I have, Yeah, that, that would be the dream because the, the number one thing I think uh, money gets me, and I'm not where you are, is I like private travel. That's, that's the biggest perk to me, I think, to having money. So congratulations to you. I'd like to be there one day. No, but, you know, I'm relating it to the transaction that you did because when you did that transaction, at some point there was a significant check put in your hand, I'm guessing. Or on oh, paper, yeah. something moved. When that happens, and I've had that happen when I sold uh, you know, some restaurants or other things over my career, how did that feel when you went home that night? And I'm sure you looked at it, and I'm sure you can close your eyes and picture it right now because those memories don't go away. What was that moment like to you? Because it was one of my most powerful ever. Yeah, it's surreal. I mean... <laughs> It, it, when I started this, I would have been happy making 50, 60 grand a year, waking <laughs> up, doing something I enjoy. I remember the first advertising check I got was $20,000, and I thought I made it. I framed it. I was so happy. Um, and then as you become more successful, there's milestones all along the way. And even though the money got greater as we got bigger, each of them – each of those miles, well, it's the first time I saw I had $100,000 in the bank. The first time I saw I had a million. It's all. They're all surreal. They continue to be surreal. I actually had the, uh, you know, one, one, a blessing. I was able to buy my parents basically their dream house uh, just recently. They're closing on at the end of the month. That's surreal. My mother just cried. So, you know, all from doing something I truly love doing. So it, it – and I enjoy my life. So it, that – the fact that I actually am making this much money, getting to talk about things I enjoy talking about, uh, it, it, it is not lost on me how lucky I am for that. What does money mean to you other than business? What are the things you would do with it? Oh, it's easy. I buy horses. I love horse racing. So uh, you got to be filthy rich to be involved in that. Like I'm a poor person for that. So I love horses. I love Nantucket. Uh, that was also the other thing if we want to talk about milestones. When – about 10 years ago, or maybe even longer, I started going to Nantucket. It's my favorite place in the world. And I'd go for a week vacation. I could barely afford it. As Barstool st started getting a little more successful, I started extending to two weeks. And at one point, it became a, uh, a little bit of a reality that, you know, there's a chance I may be able to get a place here. And I said to myself, if I ever was able to afford a place in Nantucket, I never complained about everything I've I've achieved everything I wanted. I actually was able to do that before we did the sale. Obviously, I'm sure you see the same. The more success you have, the more you want. That's the nature of probably an entrepreneur, and you probably don't get to this position if you don't have ambition. So, But the horses is what I would spend my money on, and guess what? I'm going to make like a gazillion dollars to have enough money for that industry. Well, that's a good goal then, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, my Boston buddy moves to New York City. I'm a New York City boy. What do you think of New York? Oh, I hate it. Oh, <laughs> it's so dirty, John. I love Boston. I, I underestimated how much I would dislike New York when I moved here. The streets stink. The city smells. There's trash everywhere. Uh, now, was it the right move for the company? Yes. We're trying to be this uh, emerging media business, and there's more going on here. It's easier to attract talent. There's a bigger talent pool, both for you know content and tech. 
Uh, so it was, we want to have our CEO, Erica, who's brilliant if we were still in Boston, but I hate the city. I hate the Yankees. I hate the teams. I hate the streets. I hate the people. I hate it all. You hate the Yankees. Oh, geez. Okay. So, uh, uh, okay. Thinking about New York for a minute, you and I have done pizza reviews together. You're the only guy we've done two reviews. You're the number one fan of everybody in the pizza reviews. Ah, that's great. Well, I thought the honeycomb thing got you during the pizza review. I thought you were pretty impressed with the whole honeycomb thing. You nailed it. You nailed it. (laughs) So, okay, I'm just going to ask you, give me a yes or no. Whose pizza's better? Or give me a New York or Boston. New York or Boston. Come on. It's a trick trick question. It's not a trick question. Which pizza do you like more, New York or Boston? I'm cornering. It's a trick question. I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to answer why it's a trick question. <laughs> New York has more good pizza, but more bad pizza. There's just so many places. If you were to find the best pizza in New York compared to a best pizza in Boston, who has quantitatively the best pizza in New York? Quantitatively, there's more better pizza in New York. But oh, okay. I want to hit the mute button. The top. <laughs> By the way, shout out for anyone listening. We just launched our our new pizza app. It's called One Bite. One Bite dot app. Last time I checked, it was number two or number three on all the, the food. So it was like Uber Eats, McDonald's, and the One Bite app. One, two, three. That's awesome, buddy. Okay, so how come you always take more than one bite? You know, you look at me say, one bite only. Everybody knows the rules. Everybody knows the rules. And then you eat half the freaking pizza when I'm standing yes. there with you. It, it, I don't really have a great answer for that. Like everything we do, it was organic. So Dan, Big Cat, who obviously you're super friendly with, he and I got in a debate one time. This is years ago on if you could only eat one food the rest of your life or every meal, that's all you could eat, what would you have? He said burritos, I said pizza. And then we, we, we did the contest. We're like, let's see who can last longer. So it was three weeks into it, and I'm just eating pizza. It's like, well, what can I do to make this interesting? I'm, I feel like I have grease coming out of my toes. The very <laughs> least, I can get some content out of it. So I started taking one bite, and I would rate the pizza. Now, why I started doing more bites, I have no idea. But people started liking it, and it just caught on, and we went with it. Yeah, because our, our first pizza review was not so good, but you still woofed that sucker down. So, Oh, yeah. I, listen, I have to start working out because of the carbs. I want to diet, yet I eat pizza every single day. So when, when Dan Big Cat was eating burritos for three weeks, did anybody want to sit near his desk, or was that side of the office completely empty? Well... You know Dan, so I think <laughs> with or without burritos, he probably is not, you know, people are avoiding his section of the office no matter what. Yeah, I, I noticed that when I was there. That always tends to be the quietest part of the room. <laughs> you know, buddy, you've, you've been an amazing visionary. You know, you've, you've been able to create this company. You've been able to move it into the digital space. You've been able to build value of millions of dollars. You've been able to elevate your own brand. You've been able to bring in people like Dan Big Cat and elevate their brands. You really have become a catalyst of success, Dan. You really have, I, buddy. I appreciate it. It's been a wild ride. No, I know it has. And, and what's next for Barstool? You know, it's a great question. So what, what we do at Barstool, I think we're, we're good at it, is we're nimble and we're not stuck to any idea. So, for example, um, you know, sports gambling was just legalized. That's something that people have been talking about, but it just recently passed and state by state, you'll be allowed to bet on sports. That's a huge thing for us. So that's something that we will evaluate. We'll try to dive deep into, and that could be a huge opportunity. Um, I think we're in the pizza, the app, what we just launched, whether we do physical locations with pizza places or bars, what, the, the sky's the limit. There's an old Warren Buffett quote. It's actually one of my favorite quotes, which is, if you have eyeballs, 
then you have power. And that's sort of what we have. As long as we keep people attached to the brand, there's so many different ways to monetize them. And the ground is always shifting. Like when I started Barcelona Sports, I didn't even know we'd be a website. I didn't know we'd do events. I didn't know a lot of things that we do now. I didn't know that Dan would launch the biggest podcast, part of my take, sports podcast. So we just react quickly and try to use the strengths that we have and apply them to the, the shifting, I guess, environment around us. And I think that's made us very successful. Wow. Uh, and, and, and I can't imagine you do anything but just grow. All right, let's be personal for a minute. It's my last question for you, buddy. What's, okay. pers- what's personally ahead for you? I mean, I probably want to grow this and probably – Sell it again, I would guess, in the next five years or so. Uh, we want Barstool Sports. It's still not as big a brand as it has to be. So me personally, I'm going to be headlong into working on this. I mean, that is a lot of my life right now. All right. So you know, I've been, you know, I've been to your office a few times, right? We're buddies. And, yep. and uh, uh, your bar sucks. You know that. And I do know that. And Barstool Sports is your name. And just like I beat you up six years ago in Blog Rescue, and you've been beating me up for years, I'm going to beat you up on your bar. You're moving your offices around the first of the year, right? Correct. Okay, here's the deal. I will design the bar for your new offices. I will provide all the materials for that bar. I'll provide all the supervisors to build it. But I want your crew to actually build the freaking bar. I love it. And, John, if you get a working bar with our crew, the ones hammering the nails in, you you will be the most talented guy in the world because we have a bunch of misfits who I wouldn't I wouldn't trust them to turn on a faucet, never mind build a bar. So I love the concept, and I can't imagine what will happen, but we'll give it a shot. Well, I, w- I want to get – I, I want to stick it to PFT. I want to stick it to OMB. I want Dan Katz to work all night long, Big Cat. I think behind the scenes, you and I can have a blast with this. Don't you I agree? love it. And the last kicker, I'm only giving him 24 hours to build it. What do you think? Uh, I, it sounds like Mission Impossible. I love it. <laughs> and then next year, we're going to do a bar rescue together. Right, Absolutely. Dave? Awesome, buddy. Listen, uh, Dave Portnoy, our relationship started six years ago, buddy. My brand was nothing like it is today, and yours was nothing like it is today. We've sort of grown together. And we've yeah, been- it's been fun, fun to watch. No, it has, buddy, and you're a good friend, and I thank you for being here. And, and okay. uh, if people haven't checked out your pizza app, where can they get that? So it's, uh, it's one app. Just go to the iTunes store, and it's right there. And Barstool Sports you can find everywhere, Facebook, Twitter. It's on every social media account. And El Presidente? Stool Presidente is my handle. El Pres is what people call me. Yep. Yep. Anyway, thanks, buddy. It was great to talk to you. Let's talk soon. All right. Absolutely, John. Take care. Bye-bye there. And we're taking a quick pause for thanks to our sponsor. Here are some useful car tips that you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage. And you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. Pretty weird, right? Well, here's another tip you might also not know about. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. True Car isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, users can see what others paid so they know if they're getting a good deal before they buy. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car certified dealers. 
When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Well, I love Dave Portnoy, and I love his story. I mean, it's so successful. Understanding that he had to go door to door to make it happen. Then he had to go through the digital transition and a blogger. And then think that he sold it for all that money. He gets to control all the creative and content on it. It's really a dream come true. And it goes to show that entrepreneurialism is hard work. Very rarely do we get rich by luck. We always get rich by hard work. And that's exactly what happened with Dave. Well, it's time to go to actually my favorite part of the show, just talking to you. So I think we have some great callers today. Who do we have, KC? All right, John, let's go over to, uh, we've got PJ from Delaware County. He's a third-generation Irish bar owner, wants to reminisce with you and share some some stories and say thank you. Awesome. Hey, John, how are you? I'm excellent, buddy. How are you? Fantastic. I'm so um, thankful and privileged to be talking to you. Uh, uh, thanks. i got to tell you something generation. funny. Whenever we look for bar rescue bar owners, if they're Irish, it's always a plus. I yes, love doing <laughs> bar rescues with Irish bar owners because you guys are always so dynamic. You have such <laughs> personalities. You're so emotional about it always. A bar rescue episode with an Irish owner is always a good one. <laughs> I would imagine. Um, yep. Yeah, like you said, I'm third generation um, in the same location. My grandfather started and passed away in 90, and my father had it up until um, uh, about 10, 15 years ago. And he was always my best mentor and coach. Um, but I've, I've worked all over. I've worked front and back of the house in casinos, um, big box, large independents. Um, I was the opening bar manager in AC in Atlantic City. I've always realized that I knew your face when I first started uh, watching Bar Rescue, but I didn't know where it was from. You know, I'm one of those guys that always remember a face, but I can't remember names. You got my curiosity, buddy. Keep going. I saw, I saw pulsations in uh, – that you were the the guy there, and that's where that's where I knew you from as a teenager. I had gone there to their uh, to the Sunday. I, I think it was Saturday night or Sunday dances that you had there. The teen that's nights. How I know I recognized you. Um, those teen nights is that what you're referring to? Because I believe those were Sunday nights. It's a long time ago, but I believe that was Sunday night. And for those of you yeah. that don't know, Pulsations was a nightclub in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, that I opened for a gentleman named Leon Altimos. And we had a 27, remember this? Buddy, we had a 27-foot diameter spaceship that flew in a room and deposited a $400,000 robot on the dance floor. And I got to ask you, all these years later, wasn't that one of the greatest nightclubs you've ever been in? It, it was talked about throughout the tri-state area. It was the place to be in the, um, in the 80s and 90s. I mean, there were celebrities there. And that robot was famous. You know, you guys had it in movies and everything else. Um, yep. it, was, it was a great spot. It was awesome. Yeah, I remember we opened that club, I believe it was in 1983, and the first week open, anybody in the bar business will appreciate this, the very first week open, Pulsations did four, I'm sorry, $647,000 our first week open, and I believe that was the second highest sales I've ever done in a week, but that was a great club, uh, I appreciate you bringing back those memories, and uh, anybody listening that's curious can look up Pulsations Nightclub online is great pictures of the spaceship and the effect systems and the robots and what a party that was. It was. Um, what I wanted to talk to you about um, was I, I wanted to know if you were in agreement with me. Um, working in, in big box and, and bigger places, I've always found it more difficult in smaller places to get people to get in line with systems than in, in larger places. Um, you know, with, with more numbers, uh, with employees, it always seems that people are – are a lot easier to get on, on your side and to step in line because I think, you know, repercussions are, are a bit more 
concrete. I, I just wanted to know your opinion on that. Oh, I completely agree. I'll, I'll give it to you a different way. I think it's that, too. I think that there's more of a management structure and more of a procedural structure with a bigger company, too. But I equate it to cattle, and I'm not trying to be insulting here. Put three or four cattle in the field, and they all go different directions. Put a herd of cattle in a field, and they all walk the same way. People are that way also. You're absolutely right. Well, yeah. listen, I just lost my father um, about a month ago, and uh, he, like oh, I said, he was my biggest and, and, and best mentor, and uh, you know, I loved him to death. And He would call me 10 times a day and ask me about the business, even though he couldn't leave the house. But I just wanted to thank you. I don't, I don't think people um, really give you um, enough props, even as an owner-operator that's been in this business as long as I have for 20-some years, everything that I see or watch with you involved, I walk away from learning something, at least one thing from it, and um, I'm, I'm truly grateful for it, John. I always look to you as like a one-way mentorship. <laughs> uh, thank you, buddy. You know, it's interesting. After 169 bar rescues, it's not so easy to do the 170th one, you know, and, and candidly, I've made a few bucks, so I'm not fighting for the next check, but, you know, that hug and hearing what you just said from people is what really inspires me to do the next episode. I love impacting people. You know, to think that I have this opportunity in life where I can impact and, and hope to help people that I've never met is an amazing blessing, buddy. So, so far reach, as much as, as you appreciate getting it, I appreciate giving it. I met you once at the Vegas uh, nightclub and bar uh, convention, and hopefully this year I'm going to be hosting a seminar there. Uh, so maybe I'll see you again. Great. I created that convention, shit, 35 years ago and was it's president awesome. of it it's for about eight or nine years. Awesome. And I'll see you there. Look forward to it. Make All sure right, you come John. up and say hi. I will. Thank you. Take care, buddy. All right, John. Hey, see, you're doing good this week, buddy. <laughs> I'm doing you got, like some good calls here. You're getting good at this. <laughs> you know, you know, John, I'm just I'm learning week after week. I'm trying to, I'm trying to give you what you want. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Well, it's working, buddy. If right. I could get you to talk to my wife a little bit, uh, 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 you know, maybe we could turn this into a more positive experience for me. What do you think? I think so. I think so. All right, John, let's go over to Bobby in Baltimore. Has a uh, opportunity for a promotion at his job and doesn't know if he should take it or not. Aha, uh -huh. Bobby, let's talk. So I've been working at a, a gym doing sales um, for the past three months. And then in the first two months, I got promoted to assistant sales manager at one of the busiest clubs. Um, so there's 450 clubs. I got, I got relocated to one of the busiest as an assistant. Um, but now a opportunity is opening up literally down the street um, for a promotion to just sales manager. So I'd be going from assistant to just plain old sales manager. And it's at a club that is way smaller, not as much revenue, um, completely different from where I'm at now. And my general manager, who's an awesome guy, like he wants me to go for it, but he, you know, told me where I'm at now, I'll be learning a lot as an assistant because it's such a busy club. There's so much going on. But if I take the sales manager position, it's going to help me grow within the company more. Um, so I'm kind of conflicted. So I was, you know, one to kind of pick your brain to see what, you would do in this situation? Should I take the promotion and go to a place where it's not as much revenue and has its own obstacles and challenges or stay as an assistant sales manager at a really busy club and then wait for a promotion down the road? Well, let me tell you just a couple of things. And I think it's a great question, buddy, and I appreciate your situation. I've never offered a promotion to somebody a second time. <laughs> so if you turn down the first one, I'm not sure you're going to get another one. 
It just tends to work that way. I just wanted to share that with you. When people turn down a promotion, it tends to have an impact because uh, uh, it starts to say to me, well, if you're a company man and I'm recommending you do this for the company and you don't want to do it because you're being selfish to stay here for yourself, then I might not think of you as much of a company man. So that's the company perspective. Let me give you your perspective. You know, in a smaller pond, you can make a lot of waves, buddy. So if you go into a club that's a little underperforming, maybe not quite as big, doesn't have the sales team as the bigger organization, you have a greater opportunity to move the needle. And if you, if you move the needle in that club, boy, it can really set you up with the company. Years ago, I was offered the same thing you were. I was running a nightclub. I was really successful at it. And I was offered to go to another city and take on a much bigger venue that was operating with a deficit. And I chose to do it. I walked, put myself into the fire. So I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to bet on yourself? Oh, 100%. So if you're provided with an opportunity in a non-performing environment to be noticed and make it perform, can you do it? Oh, yeah, definitely. So what serves you best? To deliver that, bet on yourself, take an underperformer, make it a greater performer and get noticed in a company, or to stay there as an assistant position and bide your time investing in the future. Which do you think serves you well after this discussion? Oh, you know, going with the uh, the promotion and, and, and you know, achieving uh, what everything you're just talking about. That's what I would do, buddy. Okay, great. Well, and thank and you. you just came up that. with it yourself. You didn't need me at all, man. Oh, well, you know, it's always <laughs> nice to have someone else to talk to. Just to, you know, if someone's telling me my house is on fire and then another guy runs down and tells me my house is on fire, I think I'm going to believe him. Yeah, you know, let me tell you something about sales. Sales is a numbers game. You know that. You got to work your leads. Yeah. It's not fun to work cold leads. You got to turn them into appointments or sits, if that's what you call them. You got to then convert those appointments into uh, memberships. It's not easy. And I'm going to guess eight out of ten guys that come through those clubs fail because they don't have a sales mentality. If you made it to assistant manager in a high-volume club, you know how to sell, buddy. You know how to prospect. You know how to convert your leads into appointments. You know how to convert those appointments into, in, into sign-ups, don't you? You're yeah, good yes, at sir. this. Now take yeah. what you're good at and, and, and bring it to the next level in your next opportunity. Will do. Well, thank you so much. Take care, buddy. Well, especially when the guy you're talking to is John Taffer. Yeah, it's always a good thing. <laughs> well, he's got a great opportunity, Casey. You know, sometimes you don't get as noticed in the big venue that's performing well. Go into a problem situation, and you can shine. You know, look at me. I'm a problem situation. You came in, you straightened me out, and you're shining now. So, so, so no, I, I think he has a great opportunity. I hope he takes it. I think so. All right, John, uh, let's see our last caller here. So Chris is in Michigan. Uh, new, new podcast listener, by the way. And uh, has a question about work-life balance. I'm not sure I'm the guy to ask about that, but <laughs> let's talk. Hi, John. I know that you've become a successful businessman and it required a lot of hard work and sacrifices. However, I think that being sustainably successful requires some balance in your life. And I was wondering what perspectives with work regarding work-life balance you could share and how you manage this in your own life. Boy, big question. You know, I wasn't very good at it. And as a result, about uh, 24, Four years ago, I got divorced, and I lost my first wife because I just wasn't good at that balance. Uh, uh, I met Nicole 22 years ago. We've been married 19 years, and, I, and I've really gotten much better at that balance. You know, we wake up in the morning, buddy. We do what's important to us. If it's really important to you, 
that, you know, you make your bed 15 times today, you'll make your bed 15 times today. If it's really important to you to make that time to spend with the people around you that are important, to take care of yourself, to enjoy yourself, to go see a movie, go see a baseball game, whatever it is that makes you be good to yourself and you don't do it, that's a choice. So I think that when we ask about the balance of life, that that's sort of a cop out. You know what it is. Go do it. Wake up tomorrow morning and make a commitment to yourself. You know what? I'm going to spend 20% of my week on me. List the five or six things that you really want to do and make yourself do them, man. It's up to you, buddy. Balancing life, it's just desire. Good luck, buddy. Uh, yeah, I recently had a, a child, and uh, once you have a kid, it really makes you reevaluate where you're you're dedicating your time. And I've been oh, working. Oh, I, I went through I've the same thing. I looked at my daughter Samantha's face, and, and everything changes. I hear you, buddy. But you got to find a way uh, to keep the two connected. You know, when my daughter was little, she's thirty now. I didn't have internet. I didn't have Skype. I didn't have FaceTime. So you know, I didn't have the ability to connect with her in those kind of ways. I had to do it in other ways from China, but let me tell you something. When my daughter was younger, and she's going to be 30 years old next month, Samantha, you've probably seen her on Bar Rescue, I used to have to go to Asia for five, six weeks at a time. And it terrified me because I wasn't going to see my little girl. She was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old back then. I used to have her call me at five in the afternoon. She lived in Chicago. And I would get up at four in the morning in Hong Kong, and she would fax me her homework, which was then in those curly pages. And I would take her homework, I would spread it out on the desk in my hotel room with weights and everything all over the place, and I forced myself to do my, her homework with her every day, even though she didn't even need my help. And it forced me to maintain contact with her. So I spent a lot of time away from her. She used to look up in the sky and say, Daddy office, when a plane would fly by. There was one time I was away in, in China for three weeks, and she was mad at me. She didn't talk to me for two or three weeks. She wouldn't even get on the phone. The problem is that there's moments where you're going to have to sacrifice work for her or him and him or her for work. Those things all balance themselves out over time. Don't be scared. Don't be worried. If you're away for a month and you miss time with them, the next month you get close all over again. It's like you never left. Everything with your child isn't permanent. There's years when you're going to fight. There's teenage years when you don't get along. It's how it lands that's important, buddy. So... Don't worry about managing it day by day. Worry about keeping him or her happy. And there's a lot of ways you can do that and still keep working. I hope this was helpful to you. Yeah, thanks for sharing your perspective. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. All right, right, Casey. Great job. You know what? I'm going to put up a doctor's uh, shingle outside my office. I'm going to call it Dr. John. I was going to say, the the doctor is in. The doctor is in, or the doctor's out. I'm not (laughs) quite sure which which it is. But, but, you know, I love doing this, buddy. And and these callers are important to me. And and I think that this is a really important part of the show. And I'd like to expand it a little. So I'm telling everybody right now, if you want to talk to me on the show, all you have to do is send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com. Right, Casey? If they do that, they're in like Flint, buddy. We'll review the emails and we'll get them on the show. So hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts. Go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. If you want to talk to me, again, send me an email to podcast at johntaffer.com and we can have a great talk on the podcast and hopefully I can make a difference or we can laugh together. But whatever you want to talk about, we're in, right, Casey? Shut it down. Shut it down, buddy. Shut it down. Man, I love Barstool Sports. Uh, Dave Portnoy and I have been friends for a long time. This was a great episode. Uh, I appreciate all your calls. 
uh, anybody wants to talk to me, just send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com. We'll get you on a show. We can talk about what you want, laugh, whatever it is you want to talk about. We'll do it. And if you haven't subscribed, hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts right now or go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. This was fun. You agree? All right. Let's do it again next week. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. 